לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשרס. כל רמה 102.3 מרגישים קיץ באוויר שמיני This is, this is really incredible. I think this is one of the great turning points in, in the whole uh, Torah. We've got to get right into it. This is, we've got to give you the context of what's going on here. It's Vayihi Bayom HaShmini. This is the eighth day. Eighth day of what? Eighth day of the inauguration ceremonies for the tabernacle. What has been going on? This, the Kohanim have been secluded in the Mishkan for seven days. And, and now they get, to, they get to really inaugurate. They want to have the moment of ignition, igniting the art, the, the altar, as we talked about in, I think it was last week or the week before. You want to get that kindling going on, and that kindling is going to last forever. And so what happens? I'm going to turn to you, Rabbi Barry Chester, because we're going to go all over you now and debate this. Okay, go ahead. So, Nadav and Avihu, the two older sons of Aaron's four sons, apparently go into the Holy of Holies with their incense pan from an Eshtara, a foreign fire, one that did not come from the altar, and they are struck down by God. And is it and, that simple? Uh, <laughs> nothing is ever that simple. You should tell the good part. You should tell the successful part of the, of the inauguration of the Mishkan and then the parallel of the Of the unsuccessful part so okay. say the good part and then say the bad part so the successful part is that the culmination the fire goes forth from the Lord and consumes the, the sacrifices sacrifice. on the altar but this the whole menu the, of sacrifice that's the whole thing it's like they're giving all of column A and all of column B the whole the whole menu of sacrifices are, are being there so that there's just a little bit of each one like it's it's like your starter sacrifice okay this is the ignition of the altar. Right. Okay. And then almost right afterwards, Nadav Navihu will be ignited also. But here is the critical part from my point of view. When I used to teach this in 10th grade Bible many years ago, I used to call this a tragedy in three verses. Because each of these three short verses is subject to multiple interpretations. And the first thing that we have to notice is that whatever Nadav Navihu did, it says, Asher Lot Sibau Ta'am. That God did not command them, which is not the same thing as saying that they did something wrong or that they sinned. The Torah is quite capable of saying someone did the wrong thing, someone sinned, and here it does not. And that is supposed to provide us, I think, with a key to unpack this story, because there's a difference between doing the wrong thing and doing more than is required. And here I think it's clearer that they did more than was required. And it had 
bad effects. But we read back into the story based on the fact that they died, that they must have done something wrong. Okay, so let me let me pick it up here. And Jeremy, I think you're going to have to referee this. Okay, they they they're stepping over the boundary. Okay, God doesn't the the boundary the line is you when you are in the sacred area you act accordingly you act according to the rules by taking uh, esh zara the, the the coal it's a it's a coal a foreign coal right. They are, they are stepping over, they're doing what they want in these precincts. And that I want to equate with people who act zealously in religious context and just want to push that boundary. They want to push the, the limit of their boundary. And sometimes they're going to go over the boundary and it just doesn't matter. If you go over the boundary, it's over. You're getting zapped. Okay, and I have my analogy. We'll talk about it in a second. But Jeremy, you want to weigh in on this? Well, this is a very complicated story, and I think both of you are saying quite relevant things. I mean, there's a midrash in the Sifra about the um, the you know the sort of voluntary action. Barry's obviously quite correct. Asher lo tamadunai does not mean asher tzivau tamadunai lo, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it it doesn't say that God says don't bring esh zara. Um, they did. They did some super erogatory act on their own inclination, and and Elliot, in your rendering, that is itself a wrong thing, right? Yeah. You you follow the rules here. Um, this is a, a nuclear, you know, this is a, a nuclear power plant, and you can't decide to, Perfect. you know, <laughs> you can't decide to futz with the with the controls. Um, but there's in the midrash in the sifra, which is the Mishnaic era. Midrash about about the book of Leviticus, it says that that they saw the success of this heavenly fire, and and when Barry told the story, he he, he lighted over this one line, which I think is very key. Vayar kol ha'am, that all the people saw the fire come on. The fire comes out from the Lord. And and consumes all of the burnt offerings and, and the various fats. They all see, and they sing for joy, and they fall on their faces. It's such a wonderful moment. It's total success. And then the Nadav and Aviyu thing happens, and the Midrash phrase, the Midrashic phrase is, How, what, a, what an amazing phrase. They came to add love upon love. They weren't like trying to rebel. They didn't say, ah, this is the bad system here. They said, this is so joyful. This is so wonderful. We want to add our love too. And, and it's hard not to think uh, with, with Elliot that, that even, even a good-hearted gesture can be a violation in this context. Not only that, okay? So I'm, I'm going to read it slightly differently. I think they, they erupt in an ecstatic eruption of, of, of frenzy, you know, in a way that the only the mob can erupt in, 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 in an ecstasy, in a way, probably in ways that, that, you know, we have not experienced, although maybe we get close at Ramah, I don't know. You know, there, there is a moment, you know, when the I whole Christ- I told us Aharon with the song of the sea, the last, we talked about last yeah, week. We talked about last week, okay. So, so but, but you, you're saying Ahava Alava, and I'm gonna say there is, a, there is an instinct in a human being that wants to take something to the limit 
you know, like the song. It, and there's a reason why the song captures something. Take it to the, because you want to go a, beyond the limit. You, you want to push the boundary. And, and that's the zeal here. The Davanavihu want to push the boundary. And of course, we'll make reference to the fact that, that there are other characters named the Davanavihu. But I want you to want to point to the fact that, that there is a strong kind of motif in, in, in the Bible about sons of high priests that behave in a bad way. Chofni and Pinchas, the sons of Eli, they're bad. They're bad. They're bad seed. And, and I sense in Nadav and Avihu this kind of said, well, my father's got all the privilege in the world. Let's see, we're going to push the boundary. You know, where, you know, nowhere does it say, nobody said anything about the incense here. Let's just, you know, we need it. We need, we need to push. The, okay, need to I have to say something now. You, you've been able to run on quite a bit, Elliot. And now uh, we want to rein you in a little bit. Now you're going to bring it back to me. Okay, go on. So we're going to fast forward a few thousand years. And we come to the Hasidic movement, and one of their values is Hilavut. Yes. It's burning enthusiasm for God, and that's a good thing. Is it? Yes, it is. It's something that one aspires to. And I think that we have to be careful here about not judging by results. If I might inject one of my favorite World Series memories, is in 2001, Mariano Rivera is on the mound in the ninth inning. The Yankees are up by one run. And the announcer, Jim Cott, says the problem with Rivera is that people often hit the ball off the end of the bat, and it's impossible to field. And sure enough, that's what happens. Arizona scores two runs, and the Yankees lose the World Series, which for me was a great moment. <laughs> but the point that's relevant is in the interview with Joe Torre afterwards. And Tori says, quite correctly, that if he had it to do it all over again, he said, I would do the same thing. I made the right decision. The results weren't good. And I think that we could look at Nadav and Avihu, in addition to the way that you want to look at them, as saying that they did the right thing, but the results did not work out for them. I think too often we have a tendency to read back from the results and find fault in the decision. And I don't know that we can do I like Barry's approach here because by by referring it to Hasidut um, and referring to the dynamic that's going on here, um, I think that religion is a is a really fascinating phenomenon that's got all kinds of different elements in it. I mean, uh, according to the midrash, is portrayed in in a handful of cases is that that most Moshe Asami daato. The he scheme dat hamakom, uh, the frozen up, you know, the rabbinic Judaism. Um, say it repeat it. We you froze there. Uh, Moshe asa midato or midat atzmo, the he scheme dat hamakom ledato, and and the divine mind agreed with him. Okay. So the, the rabbis have in some of their, you know, uh, toolkit, an appreciation for human initiative outside of just following the rules. And sometimes um, our tradition says, you know, the rules really need to be followed scrupulously. That's the mitzvot. I think that each of those things is somewhat true. And each of those things also has a counter um, 
uh, has a has a, a, a countervailing force. So I, the way I, I practice this religion is it appreciates the rules and appreciates idiosyncrasy in the right proportion. Those two things can coexist in the wrong proportion. It's, it's a real problem. Just an, an example from later on in the Parsha, which I think nuances this a teeny bit. Um, the, the priests are supposed to eat the chatat sacrifice. This is, this is a very important uh, function of the priests. And in, in the sacrificial system, the idea is actually that when the right people eat the, the, uh, the, the, when the right you know, priests eat the sacrifice in the right way, in the right place, in the right time, um, that, that's when kapara, or atonement, happens with the sacrificial mode. And then Moshe discovers that the sacrifice has not been eaten properly. And he comes to Aaron and he says, well, what's the matter with you? Don't you know that the sacrifice has to be eaten? And, um, and Aaron says, you know, given everything that's happened to me today with the death of my children, do you think that it would please God to have me eat the sacrifice? Do you think, do you think that, that the whole point is that somebody in the mental state of grief that I'm in right now would, would do the religious act in the proper way? And Moshe the Torah says, and Moses heard what he said, and, and he agreed. So I think that is an example of a case where uh, the rules kind of give way to the idiosyncrasy of the of the individual actor and that person's experience, which is also part of the system. So I want to I want to agree with you and kind of you know raise you a little bit and say that 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 built into all religious systems is exactly this this tension, which is the rules and breaking the rules. Right? It's 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 here. You're not supposed to do anything, but if you try and do it just this way, you're gonna you can somehow succeed, and that's how things evolve and that's how things grow. And, and under certain circumstances, that's going to work. Under certain circumstances, it's not going to work. In this circumstance, it didn't work because, you know, it was, it was all built into, you know, the, the, this is the way it needed to be at the, at the, at the start of the whole thing. But, um, you know, a sense in them, and I go back to this, the, the, the idea that they're, they're, they're trying something, they're trying to be innovative the way that, and I, I showed my class and you guys, the example, you know, the way at wedding ceremonies, when people want to just push the limit, they want to they want to come to the wedding and uh, you know in a different way, and things always go crazy. <laughs> they 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 turn out into catastrophic circumstances, right? And these gender reveal parties where you know they they're about to reveal the gender of the baby and and they launch a cannon and the whole thing explodes and people die. I mean, these things happen. Certain things catastrophic happens at climactic moments. In the life of in the ceremonial life of, of a people. And, and and I think that that's what's going on here on some level too. And if you don't mind me changing the subject for a second, do you think that this idea that the moment the greatest moments end in tragedy is somehow built into Jewish life? Do you think that that's something we got? I mean, we're we're speaking here on Yom HaShoah in the days of of remembrance, you know, the, the, what Israel calls Aseret Yemehoda'ah, 10 days of gratitude. Look, we have Yom HaShoah here, and next week it's Yom HaZikaron, Yom HaZhud. You know, the, the declaration of the state of Israel and independence resulted in a, catast in a catastrophic war. Of course, they were victorious in it, but, but it cost a lot of lives. It wasn't a, Ben-Gurion, I am, you know, mourning at everybody's wedding, at a wedding. He's, I'm a mourner at the wedding, you know, and, and is this built into to our understanding of the world? Well, I, 
I hope not. Go ahead. Tell me why not. Because I, I, I obviously think it is. <laughs> well, that's Again, I, I, while Jeremy's collecting his thoughts, okay. I, I think it's reading backwards again. I think that our tendency as human beings, and this is not a Jewish thing, it's a human thing, is always to look for reasons for the things that have happened to us. And we're more concerned with the bad things that happen to us than the good things. That, and you know, parenthetically, I might add, this is why the rabbis say we have to say 100 blessings a day, because our inclination is not to say 100 blessings a day. But there are 100 things that we can thank God for every day. With tragedy, we tend to look back and look for reasons. And in our need for justification, we often, I think, find or locate the wrong reason. Not everything has an explanation. You know, as I mentioned when, before we started recording, Professor Greenstein of, I guess, Bar Ilan now, but he was at the seminary when I was in rabbinical school, wrote an interesting article about Nadav Navihu in which he suggests that God, as the rule maker, is also the rule breaker. He cannot be bound by our morality because then he would not be God. And that the story here is about is a story where God is being God and we pay the price for that because we can't understand. And here it's worth pointing out as well that there are any number of rabbinic explanations for what Nadav and Avihu went wrong. And I think most of the time we could accept three, maybe four different explanations for something. But once you get beyond four, then it's pretty clear no one is quite sure what's going on because they can't convince enough other people that they're right. Everyone has their own interpretation. And I think here, this is a story that something terrible happened that actually defied explanation. And the Torah goes out of its way to paint that picture in the language that it uses in those three verses that are subject, each of them, to multiple interpretations. It's really so unusual that in three sentences, you could have two or three interpretations for each verse. No, no I'm not... I'm not... Um, I'm not resolved about this one because I think there's significant evidence on both sides. I mean, Elliot, your your inclination is to say that because we tend to push things to the boundaries and over the boundary line, um, that we tend to screw up something that could be beautiful if we just kept the right proportion. And and that's, that's, part, that's part of what's going on here. But at the same time, I want to point out that the Haftarah and the expanded Haftarah, the passage both what may be read in shul and then the passage that surrounds it. Uh, David is bringing in the 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 Aaron uh, Aaron Habrit into Jerusalem, the 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 box that holds the Ten Commandments. He's bringing it to Jerusalem, and something analogous to Nadav and Avihu happens, um, and somebody gets zapped. The cart on which the the you know they did everything that they could, brand new cart. Is bringing in the 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 tablets to Jerusalem, the oxen slip, and the cart you know leans over and is about to fall, and Uzzah reaches up and prevents the Aaron Habrit from from hitting the ground. All things being equal, that's a good thing because the ark is holy, and yet because the ark is also nuclear, he gets zapped, and David well, is. Really 
mad about that. You have to add here that the language of the Haftarah is that God gets angry. You know, God and is not angry in the Davna Vihu. Right. That is that is true. God is not, there's no feeling given for God. There's no description. But God gets angry, and then David gets angry. David gets angry at what has happened. But then, so so he pauses and he keeps the he keeps the ark in uh uh uh, what's the name of the town? Kiryat Yarim for a little while until he figures out a better plan. And they take this other plan and they, they come into Jerusalem and every six steps, they have another sacrifice to make sure that, uh, that nothing bad happens along the way. But then when David comes in town, he's going bananas. He's wearing a linen garment, some sort of linen tunic, and he's dancing all over the place. And he's just, he's in, a, in, in ecstasy. Uh, of real, you know, real joy, and and he's probably exposing himself, dancing around in his linen tunic, and his wife Michal says, "You really made an ass of yourself today," um, and he says, "You know what? This is my love for God, and I'll be, uh, I'll make an ass of myself ten times over in this great moment." And by the way, you're not a very nice person, Michal, and the, your punishment is you'll never have children. Which is which is what happens. Um, uh, but that part of the story seems to praise, like crossing some boundaries and and breaking social propriety in your in your tremendous joy. So there's evidence, I think, on this one on both sides. So intention is is really part of it, you know, and, and is a way to to contrast the two stories. Uza has good intention, as you said. Uh, Nadav and Avihu, I think uh, we, we don't know their intention here, okay? Um, and, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because both of them, they go, they touch the uranium core. And, 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 and that's why they're getting zapped. I mean, I use the goalie analogy in hockey, and our Canadian viewers and listeners will appreciate this, okay? That if you so much as lay a finger on the goalie in hockey, what will happen? They will empty the benches on you. You, 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 you will not survive the, the period, okay? Because the goalie is the holiest person on the team. The goalie is vulnerable. The goalie is sacred. And the space around the goalie, the crease, is a sacred space. You touch the goalie, you will get killed. End of story. It's the unwritten rule, the cardinal rule in the NHL. And, and many, many punches have been thrown because of that. And everybody who's seen a hockey game understands this. The point is reasonable, non-reasonable, ethical, non-ethical, God, intentional. This is, you cannot go into the holy area bringing in your own blend of incense, period, okay? This is, the, 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 the holy area has its own smell. You can't just bring in your Old Spice and your Gillette and bring it into the sanctuary. you got to use the temple blend, period. Okay. And if you don't, you're out of there. Okay, so what you've illustrated, Elliot, I think, is the difference between foresight and hindsight. Uh After the fact, we know that they did something wrong and we could derive a rule. And in fact, after the denouement, when the the bodies are removed from the Kodesh HaKodeshim, Aaron is going to be given the specific rule, which it seems might be connected with the actual event itself, about not bringing, coming into the Holy of Holies intoxicated. But a lot, you know, we don't always know the rules in advance. And another way to look at the story then is that the priesthood as an institution is built 
completely on rules and on the people, the priests, following the rules to the letter of the law. And here we have a case where the priesthood apparently follows rules and bad things happen. And even the priesthood is not immune from that. I, I have to ask you, Elliot, you know, something Barry said made me made me think about this. You you went through that entire hockey analogy without picking up the lowest hanging fruit of all time that the person preventing preventing the scoring is the goalie of goalies. He's the big let's go to shame. I love that. Okay, yeah, let me use that. Sorry, I'll have to put a footnote on the next time I give that analogy. The goalie of goalies. I love it. All right. So, so, we, so got we got a question from one of our loyal listeners, a, yes. a Hazan on Long Island who, who never misses us, asked us a couple of questions about, about the relationship. They're interlocking questions. So I'll just pose to our good friend, Hazan Carol Chesler, who, who posed an interlocking set of questions about Aaron's response to the tragedy. Um, Moses says to Aaron, among those who are closest to me, I am sanctified, which might mean, listen, Nadav and Avi, who were really great, and, and, and what happened to them is somehow a signal of their greatness, or it might mean um, that they really had to follow the rules because they were so close to me that any deviation was a terrible, terrible problem. Um, and Aaron hears this, and and he falls silent. And similarly, Moshe tells the the priests that they're not supposed to have any outward gestures of mourning. They're you know they're not supposed to rent rend their clothings or let their hair grow wild, which are the paradigmatic biblical gestures of mourning. And and Carol poses on a personal level for Aaron, how can he fall silent? And on a communal level for the general Kohanim, how is it that they are not supposed to uh, enter into the gestures of grief? Um, you know, both in this particular case and a little bit more generally. So uh, what do you think about the individual Aaron response and the group Kohan, Kohanic response? Let me, let me take a crack at this and have you guys disagree with me. So, Which so, we will. I think Moses, Moses is, is out of control here. Okay, Moses reacts to this moment. Moses is, is you know, is a con he really wants control of this, whole, of this whole moment. He wants it to go off well. And the problem is he can't control what everybody does. And what these, the two boys do is, is, I'm saying, wrong, out of bounds, okay? And they pay the price for that. And Moses is only focused that, on the on the ritual aspect of this moment, and not concerned about and, and has has kind of forgotten that a death, a tragedy has taken place. When he unloads on Aaron, Aaron is completely flabbergasted. The Vayidoma Haron is, you know, my brother Moses, who's the leader of this people, is totally out of control. And I am not going to debate him right now on these issues. If he can't see what's in front of us, I'm just going to, I can't deal with it. It means quiet. I'm just, I, I can't deal with, I can't deal with your anger now. I can't deal with your sense of, of failure. I can't deal with anything you say right now. It, it's, it's pointless. Rebuttal. So Ramban has an interesting comment here. He says that Aaron became silent. 
that in other words what the torah records is is final silence but not the grief the show of grief that came in the aftermath of the actual event of nadav and avihu being struck down and that gives a human touch to aaron who's not expected to act superhumanly and explains perhaps why he behaves the way that he does but on the other hand i think you know the torah has a problem with the priests in general and the problem is that the priest is configured to be totally pro-life and apparently according to some scholars they're reacting to cults of the dead which were prevalent in the ancient near east and the high priest cannot have any part of death even when it touches his own family the high priest is not allowed to mourn for anyone and i think that it makes an interesting point for us that we often think of high leadership as being a great honor for the person who serves but in fact it almost always involves self-sacrifice the leader is bound by the position that he and now she is in and so the high priest is the pinnacle of the priesthood but it also means you have to sacrifice your own grief because you are responsible now to the people not even to the own members of your family i'm going in a similar direction to this i think that the that the uh, general comment about the priesthood and and perhaps aaron as an, as the individual exemplar is that you know the world is like disordered the world is lots of hard stuff the world has lots of of tumah right you know the world will you know bodies will will have you know eruptions and and emissions and all kinds of crazy stuff and and there'll be dead bodies and dead animal bodies and dead human bodies um and the temple or the tabernacle or then the Beit HaMikdash later will be the zone of order amidst all the disorder and the priests are the exemplars of order among the disorder and mourning like the 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 hair growing wild and the clothing being ripped is to me an extremely expressive gesture of of the disorder of grief you know i we uh we all the time i have um this week uh, i had two funerals this week we have the uh gesture of ripping our clothing at a death and i find that just an incredibly poetic gesture uh because it because it expresses how life is disintegrated and for individuals it is but for the kohanim in the beit hamikdash it can't be because i think that the temple theory or the the sacred shrine theory is that amidst all this difficult crazy you know world that of of life and death and tuman tahara and all kinds of stuff we have this one zone where it really does where it really has you know a place of, of cleanliness perfection and and beauty now we in the 21st century might find that futile impossible maybe not even so wise but i think that's what's going on in the torah okay so let me react to that and say that there's there's one additional aspect of messiness that is that is trying to disorder the order and i agree with you the order that is being structured in the world of the temple and the messiness is believe it or not it's the relationship between moses and aaron it's there the, these are two brothers who have i think 
you know, resolved all of the messy brotherly relationships that go on in Breshit, but there, there is something going on between the two of them. Aviva Zornberg points this out in her, in her biography of Moses. I'm going to say autobiography, in her biography of Moses. And she talks about the fact that they, there's a jealousy going on, that, that Moses is jealous of Aaron, that Moses, in refusing originally, you know, God's summons, you know, he says it because of Aaron's grandeur, and Moses kind of wants this. And, and you recall at the, at the Golden Calf incident, that, that Aaron, you know, the best line in the whole Torah, which is, well, you know, <laughs> I was doing this, they came to me and they gave me their jewelry and out came this calf, you know. And you see the, you know, Moses, the frustration is just building and building and building. And, and, and it's, a, you know, they love each other. And it's the messiness of human relationships. And, and the, the, the sanctuary, the temple is not immune to this. It's, Nothing, there's no place on earth that's immune to our humanity, even when you are the Kohen Gadol, and even when you go into the Holy of Holies. That's my case. Well, it's very nicely said, Elliot. I'll grant you that. But I just want to remind you that they have different vocations. Aaron is the priest, and Moses is the prophet. And I don't know that it's jealousy, but the two jobs are based on different principles. And it may be that these different hashkafot, these different outlooks, is what brings them into conflict. Not necessarily jealousy, but just that their avenues of access to God are so radically different. Indeed, I, I agree with you there. Okay. We're, we're, we're running out of time. We never talked about chapter 11. And Kashrut. We'll we just it. have to put in the plug for Kashrut. We're in favor of it. We're in favor of it. It's a big thing. We, by the we way, know. it's interesting. It's interesting, by the way. Uh, is this true in Deuteronomy? Because there are two big long lists of kosher animals, one here uh, and one in Deuteronomy. And I was just noticing the fact that as as befits Leviticus, the trafe animals are are tame. Um, and you're not even supposed to touch them. And I don't know if that's true in Deuteronomy or not. Does it, does it use the language of, of Tame or just don't eat it? Oh, well, good. We get to that point, Ray, to talk to you about it. That's a that ultimate cliffhanger here. Well, we are, we are, we're, we're going to, you want to take a quick look? I don't know. Right, real fast. Thanks to, thanks to the majesty of computers. You can look. In the meantime, we are, we are noting, of course, that we are in a special week, Yom HaShoah, leading up to Yom HaShoah. And what did you say, Barry? No? Oh, it is Tameh. Tameh, yeah. Tameh's answer. So um, we are experiencing the, the joys, the triumph and tribulations. And the, yeah, Tameh Hemlachem. Yeah, it does, it does say that. The anguish and the celebration of Jewish peoplehood, which I think is imprinted by this story. We want to thank our loyal, devoted viewers and listeners for and watching questioners. And, listening. and questioners. We welcome your questions. We thank you for spending this time with us. We really, really um, appreciate your your continued study with us. We, we uh, it's not that we're doing it all for you, but we are. Yeah, but we are. <laughs> and we want to say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.
מאזינים לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה 102.3 מרגישים קיץ באוויר. רדיו כל רמה 102.3 FM